0: Thank you, Greg and Robert and Mike. It's good to be singing together. We all agree that we're a little raspy. We haven't done this in a long time. We're looking forward to being able to sing more together. But thank you to these three for joining this morning. I may never be happier than when I am on a roof laying shingles with church volunteers. Now, don't get me wrong. I do not want a career in roofing. Every 75-pound bundle of shingles that I carry up a ladder makes me appreciate a college education. And every day on those tar shingles, sweating in the relentless sun, makes me grateful for the underappreciated laborers, mostly immigrants, whose hard work pays off only with an hourly wage that hardly pays at all. But I'm never happier there is a camaraderie that is a unique gift of roofing together. Sweat and laughter combined to complete a job that most would not think possible. On Thursday, there were 16 of us on the roof, four untrained, uh, four untrained adults and 12 youth. Most had never stood on any roof before, and we were on the roof of Iglesia Bautista Buen Pastor the Good Shepherd Baptist Church. For 17 years, this Hispanic congregation saved its money until they finally had enough to purchase their own building, the vacant shell of an old Methodist church outside of Noonan, Georgia. Their pastor is Ruth Cuellar, a native of Havana, Cuba. It was good to hear her Cuban accent and to make connections with some mutual friends through the Fraternity of Baptist Churches in Cuba. We toured that building on Tuesday evening, and and I told her that our group could put a new roof on her church. Light and tears immediately filled Ruth's eyes. And once you get started on the roof, the choreography is a sight to behold. Caroline Owens was a smooth operator with that pneumatic nail gun. Her father, Paul, has obviously taught her how to handle a tool or two. Nine youth sat side-by-side. Side. Jacob Barner was there. We sat side-by-side side and placed and aligned shingles and four from our team stood above them sorting and supplying shingles down on the roof and we had two mules, Matt and Liam Kinney, whose job was to carry shingles up the ladder and up to the ridge. The first day we learned that system and the second day was rock and roll. We had three-fourths of the roof to complete on the second day, and we were done before lunchtime. The only thing that slowed us down a little bit was working around one uh, pipe, a vent pipe, that penetrated the roof. Hank Smith and Reed Heaton were my shingle placers down on that end of the row, and they got a special education that became something of a mantra for the rest of our trip. In the parking lot on Friday night after we returned and were saying our goodbyes, I told them that that mantra was also the sermon of the the title of today's sermon, and they said it with me in unison Think like water. You got to learn to think like water if you're going to be a roofer. When you place shingles, especially when you work around any penetration, Or in a valley where the plane of two roofs come together, how do you make sure the water doesn't leak through? Think like water. As As our shingle courses came up and approached that pipe that was coming through the roof, there was a boot that sealed that pipe. And that first course of shingles, I explained, had to be placed underneath the boot. If a raindrop should hit that boot as it rolls down, it needs to land on top. Of the shingles below it and then on top of the next and the next as it rolls all the way down into the gutter. But then as we place the next course of shingles cutting around the boot those shingles had to be on top of the boot. Think like water. Across the roof you don't want any nails showing. Now we put several thousand holes in that roof Nails that we use to put down those shingles, but then we covered each one with the course of shingles that comes next. The water can't, if the water can't find the nail head, it can't sneak in and around the nail hole and into the sanctuary below. And what about all the seams between those shingles? You have to put them side by side. You can't avoid seams, and water gets in those seams, but that's not a problem. Because every seam is laid on top of the shingle that you just laid below it. Think like water. Years ago, my father-in-law paid to have his dairy barn recovered. An aspiring young contractor stopped by his house one day and said, Looks like your barn could use a new roof. I'd like to put it on for you. James wanted to help out this young man, and so he agreed to the price, and the roof went on. But at the next rain, James walked into his barn to find water pouring through the ceiling at every place. He walked outside, and a quick glance at the roof told him that the eager roofer had started at the ridge and laid the roof from the top down. That is, each course caught water as it ran down the roof and funneled it down into the barn. The inexperienced roofer had obviously not learned to think like water. The bottom line for roofing is that every successive course of shingles has to stand on top of the last one. Each one depends on one that comes before. A roof is built on this integrity. No shingle stands alone. And that's the message of today's sermon. As we walk through this life, taking what life offers, seeking the best for self and family, we need to learn to think like water. We need an awareness of all who have come before us, and we need a sense of gratitude for the many courses of knowledge and opportunity on which any success that we might claim is built. There are no self-made people. No one stands alone. Most successful people benefit from the head start given them by the accident of their birth. As I've told you many times before, the late Ken Godwin, our friend, says the most important decision you ever make in your life is how well you choose your parents. Understand? When and where and to whom you are born is the deciding, the most important deciding factor. The zip code into which you are born is the single most determinative factor of a person's basic success in life. Many people learn from some benevolent mentor along the way. Others create their success on education from teachers who provide critical knowledge. Some rely on a piece of machinery, a tool, a technology that lifts their career, and tools and technology are all part of a long connected process of discovery and development. Researchers and inventors working mostly in obscurity, but each advance, no matter how small, is necessary for the legacy of discovery that follows. It's all connected together. Now to be sure, the road to success is longer for some than for others. Some people who succeed do overcome obstacles that many others never have to face. And some rise from such difficult, challenging circumstances that their summit to success seems so unlikely that it appears they have done it all themselves. But John Donne The 16th century dean of St. Paul's Cathedral in London said it well in the language of his day, no man is an island. No one stands alone. As one preacher said it last week, hard work does not always pay off. Work hard anyway. You just don't know your hard work may pay off. And if it does, one day someone may look at you and credit all your success to that hard work. Congratulations. If this happens, congratulations. But let me encourage you in that moment to think like water. Say thank you. And then, then have the grace to acknowledge all that led to that success The mentors, the opportunities, the good fate that often accompanies hard work. That word fate is one that some people don't like in church. It sounds godless. It sounds like forces out there that just happen to us. But it's a word that the writer of Ecclesiastes uses five times, saying, in essence, there's no need for us to take credit for success because time and chance happen to everyone time and chance think like water we all stand on the integrity of that which comes before us there may be no concept more important to the identity of the United States of America than that of freedom it's a powerful idea and deeply spiritual We can easily correlate the biblical narratives of liberation from physical bondage as well as freedom from sin, but like all good ideas, freedom can be abused. Ironically then, there may also be no concept threatening our destruction as a people and a nation any more than the idea of freedom misconstrued as radical individualism. It's all about me, my rights, my religion, my success, my money, mine alone. Jesus taught us, on the contrary, that true freedom is freedom for one another, not freedom from one another. It's the freedom to think beyond the self alone and into the beauty of interdependence, not independence. We love the myth of the rugged individual, the notion of radical separation, dependence on no one but the self alone, like the child who says, I can do it myself. It's kind of a mantra we have been raised with. And out of that myth, we have learned to celebrate the so-called self-made person. Benjamin Franklin is the first to be called a self-made man, that notion of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. But an article called The Self-Made Man, in that article, John Swansburg documents, documents the story of America's most pliable, pernicious, irrepressible myth. Even that phrase, he says, has been twisted from its original usage. To pull yourself up by your bootstraps, he says, is to succeed by dint of your own efforts. But that's a modern corruption of the original usage. It used to describe a quixotic attempt, that is, an unrealistic attempt, to achieve an impossibility. Not a feat of self-reliance. You cannot pull yourself up by your own bootstraps any more than you can by your own shoelaces. If you don't believe me try it. The phrase's first known usage comes from a sarcastic 1834 account of a crackpot inventor's attempt to build a perpetual motion machine. It's impossible. And we've turned the impossible into a mantra. Individual responsibility is clearly a good thing and necessary. Hard work, even if it doesn't pay off, is its own payoff. But within this notion of being self-made comes an almost inevitable accusation. Namely, that if you don't succeed in this country, especially if you are poor, it's your own fault. We're free. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's all you got to do if you want to succeed in this country and that's fine if you have bootstraps, but some people don't even have boots. Research from the Pew Economic Mobility Project shows that it is exceedingly rare for Americans to go from rags to riches, and that more modest movement from the bottom of the economic ladder isn't all that common either. In fact, economic mobility is greater in Canada and Denmark and France than it is in the United States of America. A 2014 study by Raj Chetty from Harvard University found Charlotte to be 50th among the 50 largest cities in the United States in upward mobility. In other words, if you are born poor in Charlotte, North Carolina, the chances are very good that you will die poor, no matter how hard you work. Despite all the data, all the studies, all the facts, however, the bootstrapping myth is strong. A 2009 study from Pew Research shows that 39% of respondents said they believed it was common for people born into poverty to become rich. And 71% of respondents said that hard work and drive, not the circumstances of a person's birth, are the key determinants of success. We just love the myth that you can just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Can you pull yourself out of poverty? Yes. It does happen. But it is the rare exception, not the rule. And this points to the clear call from Scripture from start to finish that the role of faith is to remind us that we are, in fact, our brothers' and sisters' keepers. Hard work will result in the rare success, but so will luck. Success for the masses, though, will depend on social justice. Justice for a society that will depend on people motivated by compassion and a sense of community. People who demand laws, people who demand laws and exact and adjust tax policy and create housing initiatives and support educational programs specifically designed to benefit those who have no bootstraps. Google self-made and you will quickly find a list of the wealthiest individuals among us, the rich and the famous, mostly men, mostly white. It seems that we now equate success with money. Pulling yourself up by your bootstraps is almost equivalent to becoming wealthy. We are infatuated not with self-fulfillment, self-actualization, happiness, or wholeness. We are infatuated with getting rich. That's what it means to be successful. Just ask Google. This kind of culture, our culture needs the perspective of reality that the preacher of Ecclesiastes can give us. He says we need not be so confident of our own success. An underlying theme of the unconventional wisdom of this book is that we are all connected. The good and the bad, the rich and the poor, the hardworking and the lazy, the righteous and the unrighteous, the humans and the animals. We all have the same fate. We all die. Can I claim my own success? The preacher of Ecclesiastes says, Under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to the skillful, but time and chance happen to them all. And he says, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to those who come after me, and who knows whether they will be wise or foolish. What you build, you will leave to another. Your success is the basis of theirs, and the wheel just keeps going round and round and round. Into every life, Some rain must fall, they say, and on everyone's head some blessings also, however small. So when the rain falls, the good and the bad, we need a perspective as wide as the unconventional wisdom of Ecclesiastes. We are not unique. I did not do it all myself. Time and chance are as important to any success and failure as your hard work. Hard work does not always pay off. Work hard anyway. And when it does pay off, think like water. Be aware. Give thanks. Think like water. May it be so. Amen.